0: Knowing that the people of Israel that have been, I mean, their lives have forever changed. Go and meet some of them. You have to see their attitudes. I'm not saying they have a joy of life. You know, they're singing and dancing. But, you know, some of them, two kibbutzim, they miss Simchas Torah because of what was happening in their homes exactly. And so they asked that people organize hakafos for them and my husband was you know there's someone helping to sponsor and they brought torahs and they made a party and these people from the south who had just survived and lost tons of friends and family members they danced with the torah on a tuesday for hakafas i think we need to go with that In
1: Hello, my name is Tanya Khazanov, and you are listening to Human and Holy, a podcast where we discuss the deepest parts of Torah, not just as scholars, but also as human beings. Today's episode is sponsored in honor of Tivya Baslea for the Aliyah of her Neshama. Thank you to her family for making today's episode happen. May you find strength and comfort through the beautiful things done in her memory. If you would like to sponsor an episode in this new season of the podcast, please reach out to us at info at humanandholy.com or visit humanandholy.com slash sponsor to dedicate an episode through the site. Human and Holy is a nonprofit and we are powered by your sponsorships. Thank you for bringing Hasidus into every corner of the world. Today's episode is the first of season four. I made an executive decision to start this season a week early, one week before the celebratory Yiddish Kiss Slave episode so that we could begin with an episode about Israel. I know all of our hearts are there. Some of us are there. And today we're going to talk about leaning into trust in God when you are experiencing grief or fear. For this topic, I got to talk to one of my faves, Hindle Swerdlove, probably your favorite too, who is a literal light in the world. I feel like it's impossible to hear her talk and not just think like, you know, I wanna be friends with Hindle. Hindle is an American woman living in Jerusalem. And today she shares with us how she has moved from the terror of the first few weeks after the attack into pride and joy and empowered giving. She talks about the beautiful scenes on the ground around her and the ideas that are keeping her strong through this crazy time. This conversation was recorded three weeks after October 7th, and I think you will hear the rawness of that time in our interview, the shell-shocked feeling that we were all experiencing. And even as we have somewhat horribly settled into this new post-October 7th war reality, I know that rawness is still very much right beneath our skin, either every moment of the day for some of us, or just flaring up whenever we tune back in with ourselves or with what's going on in the world. Listen to this episode for a shift in perspective for sisterhood and honest talk about incorporating trust in God when your world is shaken. Hello, I'm so excited to have you here. I'm already feeling like reassured about the whole situation in the world because I'm like, Hindle's here. (laughs) Hindle's going to speak to us. She's going to comfort us. She's going to tell us what's up, and we're all going to feel better afterwards. So thank you, Hindle, for showing up. I know you're like, why do I have to be the strong one? But you're here today.
0: No, but I love your confidence in me. It's so reassuring. So let's see what you can get out of me, how much confidence. Roots Hashem. Shem.
1: So let's get started with you introducing yourself. Tell us your name and tell us a little bit about who you are.
0: Okay. I'm Hindel Swerdlov. I am 49 as of a few days ago, and happy to be so, lucky to be so. And I live in Jerusalem now almost 27 years, married 27 years, and we've had seven children here. And Israel has been my life. I didn't walk into it saying I'm going to live here forever, but I knew that I needed to live Israel. From 18 years old, I've been visiting. And then when I was 22 and married, we came here by the time I was 23. And every year we're like, I think we should do another year. I think we should do another year. And like eight years in, we're like, oh, I think we live in Israel with the war. I have a son that just signed up to make Aliyah because he wants to go into the army. <laughs> okay, you're catching me at vulnerability. Not at the max, thank God. That was last week. But my reality, all of our reality has shifted in the last almost three weeks. Now, his papers, he got them all done within one week. He is in. He said in nine months, he can hold a gun. He's really, really bright. I'm hoping he just crunches numbers for the army and that will be his job. But whatever he wanted, we said yes, and you know, that's his prerogative. But just living in this land, we really feel it has been just an honor. Anyone who knows me know, like, what do we love most about Israel? And I'm just posting that as much as I can, like, oh my God, because I'm lucky I get to live here. This is what we get. You know from falafel to Judaism to Bubbies wearing the funniest T-shirts because they don't know what it means in English because it was like a Halloween sale. You know, there's so much greatness in this country besides the holiness. So that's pretty much me in a nutshell. I teach at Maya Note. I'm teaching at Oriya, I've gone around to speak a little bit. First, I learned for many years just to get my Hasidus inside me. I grew up in a Chabad family, Anschluchus, to Shlomo and Olivia Schwartz, UCLA campus. My biological mother was Alta Schwartz, coming from a big Deitch Chabad presence family. So that's in my blood, but I didn't learn Hasidus pretty much till 18. Once a week in high school, we would go and I was just on fire for the 45 minutes we got from Rebetz and Shanowitz in Los Angeles. So that's me. So my, my involvement into Hasidus and living the land and raising our family as we do, you know, it's all been a privilege and I know that I'm lucky. I know it. And I'll talk about my husband soon. But meanwhile, that's me in a nutshell and my beautiful children and my life here.
1: That is a big move for you that your son is going to be enlisting in the army. I'm sure that like brings up so many emotions and having lived in Israel for so many years. And like you said, living in Israel and putting your money and raising your family in Israel, et cetera, that was a lot. And now to also have a son in the army, especially at this time, what is that bringing up for you?
0: Well, since you ask. <laughs> You know how to go right to the core so fast. Well, wow. you know, it's a bigger story for me. We lost a child 14 years ago, exactly two weeks ago, 14 years. I already had buried a child in this land. And like, Hashem should watch all our soldiers. But as soon as you enlist, you know that there might be a chance of Chas not not making it till 120. And I think that with everyone's vulnerability about really choosing to live life to the fullest. This child of mine who wanted to enlist is like, life is short. I'm going to enlist. You know, he has so many friends that went through the army. He travels a lot. All of these Israeli guys have all been to the army. It is an honor and a privilege to give back to your land. And you want to have that camaraderie with the people to respect them and say, I'm going to do it too. Thank you for encouraging me. And so we hear it. We hear it. And, you know, we said, Shah with bracha, go ahead, you know, sign up. So it's loaded. I feel like everything in this country is loaded, or maybe it's everywhere, but all the small details of life have now been exacerbated by anything we have been through at all.
1: Living in Israel where this is like a part of life, like the vulnerability of the Jewish people living in Israel to be living so wholeheartedly and also knowing the vulnerability of life at the same time.
0: It is apparent everywhere. You feel that anywhere you go. Everyone's in it. Everyone's been mobilized and everyone's also sensitive and everyone's also has all the feels.
1: Yeah. I think that's a good way of putting it. I want to talk a little bit about what that has been like for you. Like, What has your experience been throughout the war and how are you experiencing your emotions now? How are you experiencing your fear? How are you tapping into trust?
0: I'll tell you, it's been really rough. And I will start by saying there is a guilt that comes with even fetching and complaining at all. We are living in our nice homes in Jerusalem. We have definitely had a few sirens. No one attacked us. No one I know personally has died, been kidnapped, tortured, and the rest. And with that, if you want to hear just about a regular woman in Jerusalem who doesn't even have a child in the army who's concerned about their children, not coming home, God forbid, it has been hellish. And it's interesting because most people who don't live here say, Oh, but you're in Jerusalem. You're okay. And you know, unless it's a family member, some of them, most of them get it. Some of them don't. And that's okay as well. But no, no, anyone living in this land has been traumatized. And again, disclaimer for all those in America, and every other Jew in this world, I know everyone is feeling the trauma that we have been going through. And then because you already know what you're going through, Tanya, I'll tell you as a Jerusalem woman where the difference lies for me. The day of Sim Torah, I was reading a book called The Daughter of Auschwitz. Highly recommended. It. It's incredible. I don't know that anyone needs to read Holocaust stories right now. They're really feeling it anyway. But... In this story, you know, the sirens were going on all morning. I had a newlywed couple, my son and my daughter-in-law, beautiful people coming down in like whatever they can throw on their bodies. We do not have a cheder mamad. We do not have a secure space. So in between two bathrooms is like a little walk-in hallway. And all nine of us who were in this house had gathered together over and over and over again. My other sons had just come home at 5.30 in the morning, inebriated. And they're like, that. we have to get up? You have to get up when there's a siren because we haven't had one in seven years. And so to be living with the immediate trauma of what's going on, we already knew that something big was happening. And there was a yisker to go to. My husband took the kids to Tzamach Zedek Shul all the way in the old city to Sildab. And even though we knew what was happening... And I finished, I said, I'm going to finish reading this book. Like, it's Simchas Torah, but I also, we can identify as Jews, and they were victorious. So I'm reading this book. And in this book, the ghetto of Tamasha something in Poland was liquidated. And we did not open our phones yet, but we already knew a lot of the technique and traumatic ways that the Palestinians came in, the terrorists who are Palestinians and Gazans on their own free will when that wall was breached, an extra 2,000 came in, not just the 900 that were trained, an extra 2,000 Gazans willingly came in. And they also did what they did to the humans, to our Jewish humans. And this is exactly in the book. Like anyone who reads it will be like, oh my God, I can't believe it. Like a malik has been going on for so long. So this awareness of reading this horror and then People were coming over after Chag to, you know, single people and young couples that didn't have family, just like we were, we're home and a family and it's more comfortable. We made a big dinner and people were just hanging out and no phones allowed in the living room. Those people went to the porches, but I saw four things on Instagram that I didn't want to see and I can never unsee it. And I deleted Instagram right then and there. And what I found interesting is that everyone in the world is going to see this. But then there were those like me living in Jerusalem, which is exactly a 15-minute walk from East Jerusalem, where our peaceful Palestinian friends, neighbors, workers, come into our houses, deliveries, everything like that. They're the ones that actually do car rammings, suicide bombings, stabbings randomly on the street. So we're not idiots. We've lived here before. I've seen blood on the hands of many. I've seen Zaka picking up pieces of humans after the bombs in 2000s, in the early Intifada. So I went into panic mode of be the mom, take care of your children, stay stable, you have people that need you, husband and children and everyone else, and you can't lose it. And so I put up this wall of be strong, keep learning, keep reading, be smart about it, be wise, what does the Rebbe say? And it took me a week and a half to realize I'm losing this battle mentally. I think I'm going nuts. If you know me, you know that I'm a pretty strong person. I've gone through a lot in life. You know, I'm sure plenty of people can measure they've gone through more in life, but I've had a pretty full plate. I've gone through a lot of therapy in my life. I have very healthy relationships around me. I'm a very stable person. And to realize that I'm losing it and not be able to be more functioning than I'd like to be was was devastating. And putting your kids to bed every single night with them saying, if I line up my stuffed Torah with my tiger over my belly, if a Michabel, if a terrorist comes into my room and shoots me, could it go through my belly? And this is like random conversation. So I'm not being graphic and gory. We all seen graphic and gory. I'm literally telling you that that was an eight-year-old. My 11-year-old is like, Mom, I know where to hide if they come into our house. Can you make sure we have a lot of snaps? And I had never discussed this with him, but in my mind, I saw that scene a hundred times over of people invading my home, and we have a great hiding place. And I thought, how am I going to talk to the kids without terrorizing them, that they might have to go here while the parents, big heroes with no guns, use our kitchen knives, You know, and that was my opportunity to say, we'll have a bucket. We'll have extra water. Should you need a toilet? You know, we're just going to be quiet if that happens. And I realized, like, I'm a person of faith. I actually believe Mashiach's coming. I actually believe we are in good times. I really, really believe we are closer to Mashiach than we've ever felt in our lives. The light is actually brighter. So as a teacher, within three days, I had to send girls back to school, but there wasn't a security guard in the school, and I did not feel responsible enough to send them back. So, you know, until people got on that we need a security guard and he's got to have a gun and he probably shouldn't be an Arab security guard, you know, there was just there was so much tension outside of what was actually happening in the war. So I was slowly, slowly being weakened in my body, answering a lot of frantic parents. Should we take our girls home? And, you know, I'm a child of the Rebbe. Like, no, the answer is no, this is the safest place. And then a week later, when you see girls having mental breakdowns, Please take your child home. This is not healthy for them, you know, and I'm making that choice against what I've been taught. So there was so much dichotomy of living reality and then also trying to survive. And it was a lot to balance. About the school, just so you know, like I went into school, I was scared to drive myself. I had my husband drive me. The teacher before me and the teacher after me both brought family members to be with them because the school is not in central Jerusalem. That was pretty terrifying for me to realize I do not feel safe in my own country. I have never felt like that before. I'll drive anywhere at any time. I'll walk around my neighborhood at three o'clock in the morning and feel safe. So, I mean, I didn't leave my house for about 10 days besides that class. So again, just weakening, weakening, like Hamas was winning my body, my mind, and I hated them for it. And I was becoming obsessed with this hate. And this is without me watching torture videos and random pro-Palestinian rallies all over America where no one saw the news, no, no one's on our side. The butchery is okay for you, but not for anyone else. You know, it, I, I just felt like we were on an island unto our own, which we actually are, but now I've made peace with that. And now I have more confidence in it. I'll say more after because there's more about what I wanted to, where I gained my strength from.
1: I just want to say how important it is that you shared that dark space that you went to because I can only speak for myself that it was so jarring or difficult when it felt like there were so many messages of strength immediately after the massacre. And even though I don't live in Israel, it was like I so badly wanted to be on the side of truth and light and strength and trust And I didn't know what people's process was from getting from the extreme grief and fear to empowerment and light and energy. And I was like watching this unfolding in front of me, people just like rising up with strength, which I so admire and so wanted for myself and not knowing how did you get from point A to point B? So the fact that you opened showcasing how like you are generally a strong person, you've lost a daughter, you've been through a lot in your life and you just have like a spirit and a joy and a trust and like a joie de vivre and all of that. And in this time you came to a space within your own mind that was dark. You were struggling. You were not in a good headspace. I am so grateful that you opened with that honesty because I think that wherever we go from here is going to be so helpful to anyone like you and like me, found themselves completely immobilized after hearing what was going on in Israel or experiencing what was going on in Israel and not knowing like, how do we not let Hamas win in our minds? Like people were saying like, this is a mind game. And I'm like, I get that. And I believe that, but I don't know how to get out of it. So I'm grateful that you just opened with that. And now I want to hear how have you, I know you have, sort of transformed your perspective and you are feeling stronger and you are feeling more empowered and you are feeling more okay. What was this process that has allowed you to now be on the other side where you're getting on a podcast to give us like some words of hope and faith?
0: Thank you. Because I I feel like we all go back and forth, but I am definitely a different person than I was that last week. And I'll explain that. First of all, my family Witnessing my family mobilize so fast and credit to my 20-year-old son who is here for the Chagim. He, He has a spring personality. We should all have our colors done just so we know what personality comes with that. And then we can appreciate every human for what they are. That's my plug for my friend Navi who does colors because I think spiritually we tap into what Hashem specifically designed for our own souls. And I really believe that to the highest level. And when I saw my son, who's very much spring butterfly, happy, doesn't want to get too down into the deeps of dreads of society, dregs of society. When I started to like be a little bit nervous and hysterical, there's no little there. It was hysterical. He'd be like, mom, you know, it's going to be good. We're the Jewish people. So what are we going to do? And he opened up his cash app and spread it all over wherever he has media And money started to pour in. And every morning he woke up, starting from Monday morning after, that's how fast he mobilized. He started to buy power banks, cigarettes, gloves, glasses, watches, anything different. Chayal Chayal is an organization here for lone soldiers. Whatever they said they needed, Moish used his own money. And then within the next day and the next day, both my husband and my other son who were still here, the other ones had gone back, mobilized as well raised millions of dollars from one side, yes, he literally millions of dollars, thank God, and going to the hands of the people who need them. He's meeting the people. Organizations are amazing. And sometimes some of it gets filtered through because people have to work. So he knew that what he was doing was helping the war effort specifically. My other son specifically got money, rented a car, found a guy with a gun, which base needed visitors, which base needed hugs, which guys needed food, which guy needed a lefty guitar because his sanity comes from playing guitar. These are soldiers up in all our bases, South and North. So having a house full of me just saying, oh, where are you going today? I'm going north. And my heart falls because when they say north, they already cleared out so many villages and so many Yishuvim from the north because rockets were coming in from Syria. So when my son says, I'm going to Syria, I mean, he's literally going where you can hold the binoculars and wave to the guy on the other side holding an RPG. So I have to pretend that's okay because my son is willing to do it for the soldiers. And I say, okay, just let me know what time you'll be back, right? So now I have three men in my home around the country doing their own thing. And I'm like, send me pictures because I'm inspired by their work. But I am terrified till they're all home at night. This is our reality. Okay, so now when you ask, where did I get the inspiration from? I know that I'm not the type to be a depressed person. I don't stay in bed. So how can I get out? And this was me trying to listen to whatever I can without watching negativity. And I heard the Rebbe when he was talking, like gem videos have been a lifesaver. Just little videos, little snippets of the Rebbe giving chizuk, really giving strength to people about Israel in a time of need, when there is blackness and death and 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 challenges. And so much of what the Rebbe was saying was, first of all, we do not need to elaborate on the details of people suffering. And so when so many people wanted to share about the gruesome details of how people were murdered, and we know that the Mechablim were giving, they were given little booklets on how to torture who, which houses were marked for how many people should be kidnapped and how many should be killed. So the gruesome measures of torture, no thank you, please, not for me. I am a regular human. I cannot ever contain that. And I cry because I cannot stand in your shoes. I cannot hear it. And I'm sorry that people have gone through that. But I can feel enough for you and sad for you and cry for you that just hearing the Rebbe say, we do not need to elaborate. And then he continued, We don't need to encourage these words and let the Satan have more free will. So we want to shut that down. And on the same day that I heard the Rebbe talk like that, I was on a Zoom with two different therapists for my kids' schools because we had kids home for days on end. They just went back to school this Sunday, which I'd like to say, thank God, because they needed it. And I was going insane from having them home. And I love them, but I'm not a homeschool mom. But thank God they're back. The therapists were saying, you need to know that your children cannot look at any device of anything of the war other than what they're feeling in the house from their parents. That is enough. The sadness is heavy enough, and it is like pornography because... Pornography gets into the cells of your body, and then it is almost impossible to shake off that lack of self-love, self-devotion, ego. We crush our spirit with stuff like that, and you can only get out of that with rehab and someone helping you, doctors getting you out of this addiction. So our neshamas are not made for that. We can't go there. So I really liked hearing that. And then in the back of my mind, I also knew with everyone mobilizing in this house and and just me getting on my status every day, by the way, I have a 13 year old daughter who I will not let her have a phone. It's a fight every single day, but we now share my phone. And she's like, how come you're not posting on status? I get a status. And I'm like, I never go on status. Also, I don't have blue checks on my phone, so I can't even see who sees it. So as far as I know, zero people see it, but I've been getting like amazing feedback. From my status, which I'm just sharing what my boys have done that day, what I did with the kids that day. And so I'm realizing people don't live here. They want to know what here in Israel looks like. And I think if I was smarter, I would get it. Like I would have my multi million dollar book coming out, but I don't get it. But if you want to hear what's going on with us and that's a good thing for you, then fine. And my 20 year old son, who's springing in so happy. He would usually tell me that's pretty negative. You need to take that back. Why do, you, why do you need to put that on your status? So I would delete, 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 you know. And then I have my other more rational people in this house, and they're like, That's a lot of information. Do you want to share that information? I mean, it's okay with me, but if it's okay with you, you know. So <laughs> between all the people that balance me out nicely, I was coming to a space of I need to get mental help. And I had called my therapist and I had actually worked with the children's therapist. And I realized. I'm going to take this opportunity. I had already bought a ticket to New York for my friend's wedding. She's 36 years old, never been married. And her wedding was on Tuesday and my birthday was Sunday. So I said, Oh, I don't think I can dance at a wedding, even though I know that's what Hashem wants me to do. But if I go on Sunday for my birthday for 24 hours, I will make it to her henna party, which is a small 50 amount of people and not probably they had over a thousand people. And I'm crawling out of my skin, but that I can do. And so I went on Sunday to the Rebbe Zohel. I stayed for seven hours. I gained a lot of strength from being there. I watched a lot of videos. I felt like my Shema. I felt literally my soul being given back to me because it was robbed. And I did not recognize the person that I was. And I stayed there seven hours the first day. My kids made me dinner. I went to the henna. My body danced. My heart wasn't really in it. But inside, I was really so happy, so, so happy for my friends and the family, getting married. And you can't shake off this intensity in a moment. And the next morning, I went back before the flight for another four hours to the Rebbe's Ohel. And I just, I davened. I ate cookies. I made coffee. I went back into the Ohel. I did all my Tehillim. Just being in that vibe of... Hashem is going to take care of me. We have the Rebbe on our side; he's our advocate. We've got him. I was too scared to go to my father's grave in Spot. My boys were driving past Spot every day, but I couldn't go to my father's grave. I was too scared to go to Cape Ruchel, which you know me—that is my place, which is 14-minute drive from my house. I couldn't leave. I couldn't get there. So that was a big invigoration for me, and coming back. I still don't know that I would have been able to go to that wedding, but I stayed up till three o'clock in the morning, just watching those videos, because then I remembered what true Simcha is like, this is how we need to live. I will remind you that intellectually, I know what I'm supposed to be thinking. And so when I had access to my soul in a healthy place, and I felt me mentally balanced, I was able to access the information that's like, are you kidding? We own this war we will never win it because we have already lost too much. But we own this war. We are winning by flying colors. There is no way we will be eradicated. We are going to eradicate them. We have done it before. We will do it again. We could hold the sadness. We can hold the gladness. We will cry. And instead of just crying, like Rabbi Lazar said, the son of the Rashbi, and I know I've said this before, probably with you, Tanya, on our last podcast together, we have been given the biggest gift that, our heart can hold it. We can hold the sadness. And I heard my teacher Miriam tell me, it's not just, we can hold the sadness and the happiness at the same time. Our sadness is so empathetic to all the hurt that we've seen, but our happiness is so much greater than just happiness. Our happiness is confidence. I feel like crying when I say this because I couldn't get there for two weeks, even though I knew the answer, I knew how to be healthier. And I just was too scared someone was coming through our windows. And that's a terrible thing. When I had to say goodbye to my son, who was leaving to America, leaving us all behind, I said, I know you're going to be great. We will be here when you come back for Pesach. But I had to verbalize that because I'm a talky type of person. And without me saying, you're going to carry our name, I wasn't in a space to really believe that we actually would all be here. The, another thing my teacher Miriam taught me, she's like, Hindle, the odds are you're going to survive. Okay. There's a lot of people that have gotten hurt, but you got to go with the odds. The odds are you're going to be okay. So I like those odds. And that's more of a rational type of thinking, but let's go rational sometimes. But then with this thinking of what Hashem does is good. I won't tell that to the victims today, but if Hashem is good, then what he even does to me is good. And I can accept that. I am not scared to die of a missile. I'm not even scared of dying. I have so many loved ones there. When the time is right, it'll be great. I just have too many people I love down here that I would like to be with and continue my life. But if Shud Hashem, you know, but for me to suffer, I mean, I take an epidural almost a month before I give birth. Like I cannot handle pain. Like that's not for me. I don't want to watch my children suffer. So I had to come to a place of, if Hashem is good, then what he does is good. If I have to suffer, I will suffer, but I will not willingly walk into the space of saying, even if Hashem makes children suffer, then that's okay. So I'm not on sadik level. I'm still very much lower end of Banoni, and I'm okay with that for right now. I'm trying to get to in-betweeners, but I'm not yet there. I feel like just living in this land, I'm doing my part.
1: Hindle. I so relate to that. And I thought that was so beautiful how you said, like, I knew what I needed to believe, what I wanted to believe, what I believed in my head, but it couldn't penetrate my heart and my soul because I wasn't in a healthy state and going to the Rebbe, getting some time away from the war and like the energy of where you were and just getting a little bit of perspective. It gave you your soul back, you said, and it just allowed the words and the belief and the hope to penetrate. And I also love what you said about how our happiness is confidence. And I'm like, yes, like it's not delusional joy. It's confident joy. It's of course we're going to make it. Of course we're going to survive. And even though we are also containing the sadness of all the loss, we are still extremely confident that we're going to be here forever, that we are an eternal nation and that God is on our side. So that was invigorating for me to hear. And I thank you. And I would love if you would be willing to share a little bit more. You told me that you watched hours of footage when you were at the Ohal just of the Rebbe speaking, and obviously Jem has been putting out a lot of videos of the Rebbe speaking about previous situations in Israel, et cetera. Were there any other particular things that the Rebbe said that strengthened you, that stuck with you and penetrated in a way that you were able to carry with you when you went home?
0: Yes, yes. Okay, thank you for acknowledging all my my emotional letting loose here. When I came to the Rebbe, first of all, let's remember, I came into New York City, so sirens are going past me and I'm trembling. Amazon guys are making deliveries, walking inside the house that I was staying in. Deliveries from, you know, nice Mexican six foot four guys just bringing packages. They don't look like me. I was terrified. I was PTSDing, which I never thought I would need to go through. And then just being at the Rebbe Zohal and watching him tell people that are walking by him, I'm thinking of going to Israel, but it's the Gulf War. Do you think now's a good time still? And the Rebbe is saying, this is dafka, a good time. And not only should you go, but you must publicize that you are going. People should know you're not scared to be in the land of Israel. And I thought, "Ooh, that's me. Oh, okay. I'm going to let people know I'm not scared. And so the talk starts to happen. And then the Rebbe goes ahead and he tells someone else, the eyes of Hashem are on the land of Israel from the beginning of the year till the end of the year. Now we just finished Shabbos Voracious. Oh, I'm the beginning of the year. You mean I got another 12 months? I will survive 12 more months. I will survive till 120, probably me 180. But another 12 months, I'm in. And then the rebel was, and obviously they had on loop at the aisle all these gem videos strengthening people about the land of Israel right now. And so another one was talking about that when we have Hanukkah, we are going to see the biggest miracles. We will see the tiny army. Defeat the mighty ones. You know, the Maccabees of just a few will be absolutely winning over huge amounts of armies. We will see the miracle with our own eyes. The light will be greater than ever. We can't ignore this. The Rebbe has never been wrong. He has mobilized humanity into a way of goodness and kindness that no one in the world has ever done before. You know, save our Avos and Moshe Rabbeinu and all the other tzaddikim that came before. I'm listening to him. He's got it down. So I'm in, you know, and just this constant, the love of the land of Israel, the strength that he gave to the people that live in Israel, the confidence that he had for our people in Israel, no matter what politics was going on, no matter who our government was, that's so irrelevant. Hashem takes care of the people of Israel. That's it. And that's what I kept getting. And like I said, it took some time for myself to absorb this letting free of being in my Jerusalem home. And then by the time I was coming back, I already felt like I got this and I'm not a faker to myself. I'm really down to earth and I know where I'm at vulnerably. I know where I'm at emotionally. I know who I am. And it took me time but probably only sitting on the plane on the way back. And just remember that on the way there, I was with a bunch of people that were crying. They had flown in for funerals, people showing everyone pictures, sharing stories about the people that they flew out for families, running away with the little kids because it's too much to be here when all the sirens are going on. I mean, it's war time here. So coming back into it's Hashem's war. Sure. Our soldiers are so strong. Our soldiers will protect us. Sure. Sure our government is mobilizing as best they can let's not talk politics sure every civilian home that i know has mobilized for the war effort i'm talking every single person in my neighborhood that i'm friends with everyone in their family is doing something from the little kids baking cookies to the older kids driving to the other ones fundraising money to the ones gathering all the clothes to give to all the people in the south that have been thrown out of their homes i'm talking refugees of refugees i went to visit today because I gave a hundred books from Shula's library that we did in memory of our Shula to a hotel that's really around the corner from the South. And I said, our library is open to you. Why don't you come and bring the kids? And they said, our kids are too vulnerable to be leaving, you know, their own little Dalit amas. but you can bring books here. And so I did as a gift and I gave it to them and God willing, I'll go through my computer system and take up more and more. But to be in a place where everyone who lives here loves ourselves, we love each other it's surreal. It really is surreal. And you feel the obvious from America to Europe, you know, to people who probably never thought they had to fight for Israel. They're fighting. They're fighting on their campuses. They're fighting in their streets. They're fighting. And that's helping me. So I'm no longer looking at the amounts of people that are rallying for pro-Palestinian, LGBTQ in Gaza. Yeah, right. That would never happen. They'd slice and dice you before you left the plane, So no, no free trips happening for you guys to Gaza. But now I can be like, I can see it for what it is. My storage room is not stocked. I'm being healthy with the parameters we're supposed to be taking for safety. But when my kid tells me that should his Torah take a bullet for him, I'm like, no bullet is coming to your belly. I couldn't say that last week. I couldn't. And now with confidence, I'm in that space of confidence. I'm saying it and I mean it.
1: Oh, Hindle. Strength <laughs> pouring into my veins. I feel it. I feel the strength, the few defeating the mighty, the Maccabees army. It's so invigorating to hear you speak, to hear your process. And you mentioned how like, I'm no longer stalking my storage room and I'm no longer going crazy in that way. And I'm wondering if you could give us some guidance on that, because I think that there is this balance, this pragmatic balance that A lot of people are trying to strike, which is like, we are trusting in God. We know that the Jewish people are eternal. We're not going anywhere. The few defeat the mighty. We are God's people. And there's only hope and there's only trust that this is going to turn out well for the Jewish people. But along with that, what is the healthy way of trying to stay safe? Like people in America discussing security guards, gun control. There are anti-Semitic rallies happening in Israel. Like how much should you leave the home? You don't want to give in to terror, but you also don't want to be irresponsible.
0: So, I think what we need to remember is on my way, you know, I was only in New York for 24 hours, and a woman came over to me, Can you take a package back to Israel? And I'm like allergic to taking packages. I, I'm i like always, An envelope. I only travel with a carry on for a week. I could take an envelope. This was for a day, so I had have a half a carry on. I was like, An envelope. And she's like, It's a duffel bag for the soldiers. I'm like, You got it. I will schlep that I'm on a train. I will drag it however you need. And I think knowing that El Al itself and every single human coming into Israel today, that's for the cause of the Jewish people, bringing everything that they can, money and anything that the soldiers need, anything that families need, toys for misplaced families. We are living here, something that you're not feeling. And there's a winning streak going on. Over 200 Arabs have come into the land of Israel. Well, some of them are from the land of Israel, I should say. They're from the land of Israel. And they tried to kill Jews. And our army killed them. And yes, I'm using these words. No, I'm not hiding behind pretenses. They killed them. In the past, they were too scared to kill anyone that came at them, even with a gun. They would shoot them in the knees. They would shoot rubber bullets. And now we're not stopping for that. No, no, this is over. You will not kill us. And what's amazing is that today's today. well, today's Hayyot is amazing for today also, but today's Chumash with Rabbi Gordon talks about in the Aserah Sadibros, it doesn't say you shall not kill. It says you shall not murder. Killing is good if they're coming to kill you. Then you must kill. Then it is a mitzvah to kill to save your own life. And if we love Hashem, we hate evil. If we hate evil and evil's coming to kill us, we kill them. This is what we need to do. So knowing that our army is allowed to, without being scared of the repercussions of being sent to jail, knowing that our entire workforce, army, civilian life, everybody's mobilized to win this war, that's a winning streak. All you need from even a losing battle is morale from the people and they feel like they're winners. So God willing we'll win, but already we're in the battalion that's winning. Like I'm on the winning team of color war here. And that is a plus for me. And so when I can remember that, which I have been lately, thank God, it's only been a couple days that I'm back, but I know that I'm going to stay with it rationally to understand that Hashem gave this to us. He gave it to us years ago. We cry because the Beis Hamikdash has been destroyed, but we have the opportunity to be happy at all times. So yeah, we have the sadness forever. It's part of our DNA. But we also have the opportunity to choose happiness, to choose confidence, to choose faith that Hashem knows what He's doing, and I'm a soldier in it. I'm going with it. So I do think that that's helped me tremendously, and that should be everyone's chizuk. Aside from what you're getting from learning Torah, from all the different teachers who are coming out really, really strong, saying, you know, like Shady Jacobson said, wherever your post is, I don't care if you're in Timbuktu, Honolulu, New York City, you're fighting the war from there. That's your shlechos, And everyone should own up to that. And I will tell you also last Shabbos, we had about 25 people here and some of them were here to support the war. And remember, I'm still shaky, 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 but I'm like, yeah, you should come to us because we're going to win this land. We're going to win this war. And they come and they're all inspired because they've been going to soldiers all week. And one of these rabbis, he's a shliach, he told me, I want you to know that when I went there, the soldiers give you chizuk. They know they're winning. That's not the question. They ask that Hashem should help them remove the horrible scenes that they've seen in their head. And the second most important thing that these soldiers are saying is all we want are hugs. And I know my sons, they have brought $100 gifts. They brought $200 gifts. When they gave a hug or a homemade cookie, I want to tell you that is worth more than any gift they could receive. That's amazing to me. We must go with that. We must feel the love that is there no matter what type of Jew we are.
1: Hindle, that is beautiful and it is so encouraging to know that you're feeling the winning streak and that there is that beautiful energy of love and connection and brotherhood and sisterhood in Israel right now. And has that ability to tap into hope, has that allowed you to be a little less paranoid about everything that's going on. Cause that's kind of what I'm curious about is the paranoia. Like everyone has this, you know, everyone's like, we know what to do when the world starts to hunt Jews. Like, should we start doing it now? So what do you do in the face of that paranoia?
0: So I'll tell you, I, I mean, I lost the battle. I really did. I was paranoid and, I, and it's just paralyzing. And guess what? When we are blocked, when we have doubt, when that break comes in my soul of feeling like I'm going to get killed that doubt leads me to think Hashem is not in charge. And I don't like myself when I don't have my faith in the right place. So I'm only falling deeper into the rabbit's hole. And so when I could say, if I love Hashem and Hashem is good, and if I get rid of this doubt and bring in the confidence that Nikama is good when not done emotionally, Right? The Torah answers all our questions inside the Torah, emotionally, psychologically, intellectually. So, if the Torah tells us to do this, then this is what has to be done. I'm telling you, knowing this is I never have to. Yes, I lock my windows at night. Yes, I double lock the door. Yes, I know where all my children are at all times. Yes, I check in with my husband when he's traveling far. I am no longer terrified of my body being abused. I don't know how to say it differently.
1: Yeah. I hear what you're saying. It removes the terror from within you, removes the terror of the enemy, and it swivels you right back to orienting and directing your energy towards Hashem. So it doesn't mean that you're not making a vessel for safety and security, but that you recognize that, like, this is in Hashem's hands. No one else has the power to hurt or defeat the Jewish people. Hashem is the one who decides what is going to be. I would love if you could end off just because. You are living in the war. You are living in Israel. And obviously we know all the things that we can do for the Jewish people. But from your perspective, really in it, what is it that you love to see that you encourage us to do to, like you said, fight the war from wherever we are and really be a part of the Jewish nation fighting evil?
0: I really do feel like even today's Torah portion, you know, about we give Carbonos in the base Hamigdash. Today, we don't have Carbonos. So our Carbonos today is our Davani, is our tefillah, it's our tzedakah. And if you hear some of these soldiers speaking, the mifakdim, like literally the general speaking to their soldiers, they're saying, we're on the front with our guns, but other people are learning Torah for us. They're wearing tzitzit, they're putting on tefillin, they're doing their part in the Jewish war. And I think that if we actually really believe that we are winning the war and This is also what the Rebbe said so much. We can win this war through Torah and Tefillah, and we can. We have to actually believe that and mobilize in that direction. And also to realize that we all have a say, we all have a voice. I know some people find it harder to write, some people find it harder to speak, but we could make a difference. We don't need to answer all the petty people on Facebook or internet that are attacking us through making us defend ourselves. That's not where I'm going. But if you can get to the guy that has millions of followers and you can make a comment over there, go ahead and do that because a million people are watching your comment. So, you know, with confidence to answer without the hate, without that emotion, but just answer as best as we can to the people that are hating on us. Great. We're showing the world. We're not going anywhere. We're quite confident that we are staying. And I think that also one more thing to inspire, you know, Torah, mitzvos, answering people to the best of our ability to spread the good word, but also knowing that the people of Israel that have been, I mean, their lives have forever changed. Go and meet some of them. You have to see their attitudes. I'm not saying they have a joy of life. They're, you know, they're singing and dancing. But, you know, some of them, two kibbutzim, they missed Simchas Torah because of what was happening in their homes. Exactly. And they said, we missed Simchas Torah, so we missed HaKabos. Uh-huh. They miss some Has Torah. And so they asked that people organize Hakafos for them. And my husband was, you know, there's someone helping to sponsor and they brought Torahs and they made a party. And these people from the South who had just survived and lost tons of friends and family members, they danced with the Torah on a Tuesday for Hakafos. I think we need to go with that. I mean, these are people that still recognize Hashem, that still know Hashem is good. That we don't understand his plans, but we've got to be closer to the end here and it's going to be good. And, you know, if they love Hashem today, we better love Hashem. We better trust him and we better have that confidence that it's going to be wonderful. So I'm going with that.
1: Kindle, I love that. And I think that's just the most beautiful way to end off. Dancing with the Tara on Tuesday because they didn't have the opportunity to dance with the Torah because they were literally... Hiding from terrorists or their families were being killed, and yet they somehow found the strength to want to dance with the Torah. Like that is the future of the Jewish people. Yes. No matter what our enemies do to seek to destroy us, we are still dancing with the Torah the next day. And like the Torah is obviously our story, our connection to Hashem, our eternal story. Thank you so much. This was beautiful. And there's so much in here that I'm going to think about and just hearing it from you. Hearing about your process, hearing your story, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time and for sharing your precious energy
0: and strength.
1: Thank you, Tanya. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed today's episode and it sparked something for you, touched your heart or touched a raw nerve or just got you thinking, I want to invite you to keep this godly conversation going. Share the episode with a friend. Tag us on social media with your follow-up thoughts. Let's get the truths of Torah into the atmosphere. The world needs it right now more than ever. You can email us at info at humanandholy.com. Find us on Instagram at humanandholy. And you can sponsor an episode or give it any amount through our site, humanandholy.com slash sponsor. New episodes of the podcast come out every single Sunday morning. Hit the subscribe button so you don't miss a single one. And while you're at it, feel free to leave us a five-star rating. It helps other people find the podcast and it brings us joy. Thanks for listening
0: and we'll talk next week.